You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we have two uh, local activists. I love to uh, spotlight people that are doing great work in their communities um, to help grow the game and hopefully inspire other people to do the same thing. Um, So I spoke to John May and Tom Bennett. They are responsible for the Malvern Hoops campaign. That's been running for five years uh, and it finally came to a conclusion last month when they launched their brand new uh, renovated basketball courts uh, in Victoria Park in Malvern now this wasn't just an aesthetic thing it wasn't just making it look nice Uh, it's actually functional so they resurfaced the floor they put in brand new rims perspex backboards um, and it's great it's it's amazing the reaction from the community has been amazing Uh, they said they've seen increased activity since it's happened and what I'm hoping is by um, getting them on the podcast and getting them to share their journey and also uh, their sort of top tips for other people that are trying to do the same thing uh, it will inspire more people uh, to take it a Upon themselves to improve their local basketball facilities you know I say it in the podcast but it's very easy for all of us to complain about British basketball and say the things that we don't like about it but actually uh, there is a very small number of people that take it upon themselves and see it as their responsibility to change those things and that's exactly what uh, John and Tom did which is why I wanted to have them on the show so yeah it's a really good podcast takes a little while to warm up um, but I think there's some really actionable advice in there for other people and hopefully it will inspire you to do the same thing and if you do uh, if you do decide to um, take it upon yourself to improve your local basketball court uh, by all means please contact me let me know uh, and we'll see what we can do to spotlight it um, because that's what we're trying to do we're trying to grow the game and raise the profile of it and improve it so uh, other the next generation can have the same opportunities that we've all had from the game we love anyway uh, as always before we get into the show uh, please take two seconds to check out our patreon account if you value what we're doing um, go check out patreon.com forward slash hoops fix that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x there you can start to give us a monthly or annual contribution uh, for as much or as little as you'd like it goes a long way in helping us do the work that we do uh, you know this costs money costs time and we're trying to get a return on that so if you value it please go and check it out patreon.com forward slash hoops fix i promise you you won't even notice the money coming at your account but it makes a huge difference to the work that we're doing as always let me know what you think if you're watching on youtube leave a comment below uh if not you can get me on every single social media platform at hoops fix uh, or if you prefer some private one-on-one interaction uh, drop me an email sam at hoopsfix.com. anyway that's enough from me uh here is this week's show with john may and tom bennett from the malvern hoops campaign John, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Sam. So, um, yeah, first of all, like, massive congratulations uh, on the court, the courts. Uh, You know, I've followed the the progress of the campaign very closely over the last five years, and I thought, well, now that the court's open, it's a perfect time to kind of have you on the show, talk about the journey, how you got there. Uh, Hopefully, uh, we can inspire other people to kind of do their own thing as well. so I think, you know, the obvious place to start is just with a little bit of background on, on both of you two. Uh, so kind of what is your background? Um, you know, what's your background in basketball? Uh, and I guess how you sort of first got involved with this project? Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, um, so I started uh, basketball back in high school. Um, I, I didn't really have um, any sort of facilities when I was in primary school for basketball. So I, I didn't know much about the sport. So it was only when I sort of got into high school that, you know, I started getting uh meeting some friends and getting them into basketball and you know we're sort of learning about the game at an early stage there um sort of as it went on over the years i kind of uh played for the high school team and those sort of things and i, I guess the more i played it the more i got, kind of got hooked on the sport um kind of obsessional <laughs> about the sport you know um and back then when uh, basketball was on, wasn't on the TV as much, you know, when it was on, you would just get straight to the TV and watch it as soon as it came on in the mornings on a Saturday or a Sunday. And, you know, no one else could have the TV during that time. That was my, that was my slot for watching basketball. Um, I remember kind of as a kid, uh, there was 
a Knicks magic game that I used to watch quite a lot. And I mean, actually, obsessionally, I used to watch this game a hundred times as a kid. You know, it's just that same video over and over again. So I got really, really hooked on the sport. And uh, it kind of became a little bit of a distraction for me growing up because, you know, in classes and education, I wasn't really focused on education. All I became focused on was basketball um, to the point where uh, I kind of, my studies were slipping because I just, as soon as school was finishing, I just wanted to get out there. I just wanted to keep playing basketball. You know, that was, that just became the thing to do. Um, uh, so definitely my advice is, you know, stay in school and keep educated because it's, it was just too big a distraction for me at the time. And it was really kind of an escape as well. You know, I, any ch chance I had just to get away and just, you know, shoot hoops, I would, I'd be there all the time. Um, so sort of growing up, um, we had a youth centre and that was really the only place you could play basketball. So back in the summer days, there was a lot of, um, uh, lot of groups kind of get together. You make more friends, you get, um, you know, bigger groups. And we used to play from first thing in the morning till, you know, last thing at night every single day is just that's just what we did in, in the town um and many many of those players kind of went on to become a bit you know uh, play for the local leagues and those sort of things um i was very much into the street ball side of things so um i kind of didn't take the game too seriously over the first few years i was kind of really inspired by and one and you know and those sort of things so most of my time would be doing the tricks and the fancy moves and those sort of things um uh, sort of uh, from that point on, um, we eventually got a basketball court, uh, a new new basketball court. This was 25 years ago, uh, at the local park in Malvern, so Victoria Park. Uh, these were the uh, lottery-funded uh, Adidas hoops, Adidas hoops. Um, so at the time, that for us was massive. We used to just we just went straight there. I think we just abandoned the youth centre. We, we're now this was our home at the courts. And we, we played there all the time, you know, and it was just, it was great. It was, it was those perfect summers, you know, the sun's out, playing basketball, you got the music going, it was, it was perfect. Um, so I did a lot of that. So about 20, sort of 2006, I kind of moved to London and uh, I spent two seasons playing with Kingston University, um, which awesome experience. I really, well, actually it was very different to what I was used to. Um, it was very, uh, very structured compared to the previous kind of um, setup I was used to. But yeah, so from Kingston, um, some great days there. And uh, then I've kind of, well, since university, I've sort of moved back to Malvern in the area. And I now sort of just run the Friday night sessions here in Malvern where uh, we just get all skill levels and that sort of thing to come along on a Friday night. We play for an hour and a half and it just keeps the, um, you know, the sport the fitness up each week so yeah it's a good place to just come and play and, and it's, there's not it's not um it's not strict by any means in the rules you, you can you can mess up you can try things out it's quite quite a relaxed session so uh, over the years we've I mean, we've been going for about six years on it now um and just more and more people always come into play and it's, it's a great session great stuff but one of the big problems was we just didn't have an outdoor place to play. So we were always paying for an indoor facility. So that, that was kind of nearly up to date to where we are now. And Tom? Um, my journey in basketball is very different to John's. Um, <laughs> basically, I don't know, what, nine years ago, eight years ago, um, yeah. John's around mine hanging out, was playing some video games. And he's like, oh, basketball Friday, do you want to come along? I was like, I've never played basketball. <laughs> he's like, I'll just come along, you'll enjoy it. So I started going to sessions, um, never really improved, um, did my knee ligaments, dislocated both my thumbs, got knocked unconscious, and sort of stepped away, sort of doing the media side of it um, for the local team, which is Morgan Hills Buzzards. Uh, started off doing sort of photography and video, then doing some match reports and getting exposed in local press. And from there, just sort of volunteered more in basketball as a whole, so I did community coaching. Um, stuff for sort of things like locally like leagues for you and that led to going to an actual career in basketball with the Worcester Wolves and um, working way through that there as well um, so yeah I haven't been in basketball as long as John has but in that short time I already realized how big a sport it actually is and sort of the funding and attention needs from the government and sort of governing bodies help sort of progress it and sort of give it its true potential
So, you know, clearly you've obviously both got a passion for basketball. Um, you've been involved with it for, you know, a number of years. Like everybody, you see your local courts and uh, you think that they could be better than they are. They're not exactly what you want them to be. The difference is that obviously you decided to take it upon yourselves to try and make that change. Uh, and I'd be interested to know kind of what made you feel like you were the ones to do that or why you felt like a need to do that. Whereas unlike most people, you're just going to complain about it, go back and just carry on playing there and just expect someone else to fix it. Uh, and I always say, you know, it's very easy for all of us to complain about British basketball. You know, we've all got our, 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 our issues with it um, and we can all sit here and bitch about it for as, as many hours as we want. But actually, I always say that, you know, rather than us all complaining about it, let's all try and be the change, right? Let's look at the things that we can do um, to make that difference. And you took it upon yourself. So what was it that made you two feel like, uh, you know, this is something that actually we need to do? Well, uh, kind of the, the basketball court um, idea was it formed a, a lot longer than when we first started the campaign. Um, so I used to play a lot down the local park and, you know, I'd seen... 20, 25 years of use on the hoops and the courts that were down there. And uh, over the over each summer, I kept thinking to myself, I should probably say something about this, like because the hoops are worn out, the backboards are cracked, the nets have just perished, um, the flooring, the, the surfacing was uneven. Um, and well, it wasn't surface to actually use. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the big problems we also had was the fact that it was... Uh, kind of a MUGA sport so it's a multi-use games area which meant that in the peak of summer you've got football and basketball players using it at the same time and you know across each other so you've got goals on each side and you've got basketball hoops going the other way so every summer there was this there's always this clash and it was just like this is getting crazy and I, I kind of thought uh, well at the time I think I, I was hoping someone else would you know take the gauntlet but um, sort of two or three years passed and then I went down there one time and all I remember seeing was this guy came down with this kid they were on the far hoop in the corner and uh, they were there first they were on the court and then a group of kind of footballers came down about 10 of them and then they suddenly started playing this full court game and I saw this dad and this kid leave and it was like right that that was for me that was the big moment that was like okay I'm, I'm gonna have to do it I'm gonna step up to this um, so when I I kind of got back to my place and I thought about it and I think the first thing I did was I wrote a letter to the council and I basically put my idea out there and I said you know is there anything that can be done to fix these courts or even the idea that we could have a new place for playing basketball because it's just it's dangerous more than anything you know it's it's a health and safety issue right there and uh, they got back to me and they said you know uh, you, you you've got a good you've got a good point basically and um, we kind of want to hear more about your suggestions so I think that's kind of when I brought Tom in yeah because at the time I thought okay I know this is gonna you know I, I'm not gonna be able to handle this whatever is gonna happen on my own I think there's gonna be a lot of things to go through here and if I don't have someone with me I'm not gonna be able to talk about it I'm not gonna be able to you know discuss ideas or or find out if things are worth mentioning or not so yeah I brought Tom in at, at that stage you had a, a phone call one evening. You free for five minutes. It's about <laughs> six hours, but <laughs> had a lot of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so in, ter in terms of the timelines, this was 2016. Yes, that was 2016. Yeah. yeah. And so, what what were your first steps from there? You were like, okay, well, the council said that they're interested. So this is potentially a thing that you know we we might be able to shape the direction of of something if it was to happen. Uh, kind of, what were your next steps? I think firstly we sort of we sat down and discussed where all the courts are in Morven and the, the, the actual hoops and what facilities there are there um, and we sort of drove around the town looking at facilities taking photos getting measurements sort of writing almost like an evaluation of each site of like down the downfalls if there's any pros and cons and then sort of put that into a presentation document we can actually take to the council to say look these are the facilities they're not good enough they're not safe is there anything we can do to sort of like bring in facilities that are and up to scratch 
And then from there, like, what did the council say? Do you feel like the council, like, was there, uh, I mean, obviously these things are not free, right? It's going to cost, a, there's going to be a level of investment that's required. It's a lot of hassle for the council to take on when they've got a million other other, other things going on, like basketball, as we know, is, is not normally a priority. Like, kind of what was the feedback from the council? Were they very much like, you know, if you keep guiding this, if you keep leading this, that, you know, we'll come with you. We've potentially got some budget for you. Like, you know, why at that point, uh, like kind of when you were thinking this is actually going to happen or the possibility of this is happening is the possibility of this happening uh, how real is it like kind of what were you th- what were you thinking about it i think it took quite a while to get to that stage yeah it did. i think there were so many stumbling blocks to start off with um like we'd find what we thought could be a potential site for the new course where, where, where they could go to be told oh no we don't own that site. i belong to another council and then okay well this site or oh, that's owned by somebody else and it was just sort of if we'd known these things in advance so mm-hmm. like who owned the land or if we could see the land registries who actually owned it who, and who we could approach straight away we probably could save ourselves I don't know, maybe a year yeah because we we did find a great site that was at the bottom of a football field mm-hmm. and we we said well that's got to be perfect but when we put it to the council they were like no that's all that's all taken you know you can't use that site for anything like so there was a lot of back and forth but you know until we were able to kind of like Tom said, review all the areas and, and trying to come up with some options for them, you know, it helped for them really to kind of skip over what was, you know, where the potential could be to sort of fine tune yeah. what we were looking at. Uh, one of the big things that we stumbled upon was the um, kind of sports manifest for, for Malvin. And it was talking about, you know, all the investments and, and that have been put into sport and that sort of thing. And it was a good sort of, uh, maybe 20 page document yeah. we're just looking through it and i saw this one line and it said there have been no requests for new sports facilities in the town and that was the moment we were like okay so we're we know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we know we can ask for stuff um and yeah from there we just kind of we had quite a few meetings with the council to kind of um put our ideas across and, and they sort of said to us um which was probably one of the longest parts was to go away speak to suppliers, get costings, you know, find out as much information as you can so that you can come back and present it to, um, was it 22 councillors, I think? Something like that, yeah. So we had to do a huge presentation, but we had to nail this presentation and we had to make sure that we could try and get everyone on board and understand where we were coming from and why it was essential and, and, and more importantly, how we can increase participation in the sport in Malvin. Um, If we could do that, then it was more likely we were going to get a good response from the council. And uh, we we attended this meeting and it was quite daunting, I think, uh, because we we kind of scoured the room to see, you know, who we we're up against. And there was a lot of age group differences, a lot of people who were ready to kind of say something like, you know, we don't need this and that sort of thing. And we did our presentation and we got 100% feedback so all 22 councillors agreed and this you know they give us a round of applause so it was like that that, that was surreal yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we what, what, how far was that was that meeting after the initial the initial contact you'd made with the council probably a good couple of months after uh, but again most of that time was back and forward with the yeah. council we would because i mean for, for neither of us this is our full-time job so we're trying to do our full-time job and then whenever there's a slot we can go and try and quickly get a meeting yeah. and uh you know sometimes yeah. we had to leave work early because the only time they could speak to us was here or there and you know if we didn't attend those little meetings when we could you know who knows it may not have happened so yeah but there was lots of little so, things that sort of help with it whereas where it's like oh we need a measurement but we can't get down there so give us the measurement stick we'll go and do it yeah it's just Trying to work practically with them to say, look, we're on your side. We want to help. We're trying to help you do this. Just you know, we're at the end of the phone, we're at the end of an email. We can do whatever you need to do. And mm-hmm. so, a, a couple of things there. Like I said, I'm I'm kind of trying to take this as as uh, if an outsider is looking in and wanting to do their own project. Like what what they can learn from from your experience and ideally sort of give them some shortcuts to for rather than going through the the struggle that you've had to kind of work it out for yourself so one of which you said there like you could obviously save a lot of time by actually knowing which plots of land were potentially pos- available for you to be able to do work on uh you know if someone else is trying to do this in you know i don't know wherever another town is there 
like is that information publicly accessible somewhere can you go to someone in the council and say we're looking for plots of land that like could potentially have a basketball court on it that are not privately owned that don't have any restrictions around it like what are the requirements and who are the, what's the department within the council or, or wherever it might be that they would need to speak to to be able to find out that information i think on, on some of the um council facilities around Malvern and worcester as well um it says who controls it on, on signage on site but there needs to be signage there for you to see that um but if you sort of just go on google or go on the actual council websites if you look in really fine detail, you can find the information. Obviously, the first time we did, we were like, where did we start? If we didn't know this before, mm -hmm. then obviously we could have saved a lot of time in the process of getting the course put together. And Yeah. And then the other point was, uh, when you're contacting the council, like, who is responsible, like, at the council for this kind of thing? Who was it that you contacted at the council? Is there a, you know, is it a the Parks and Recreation Department? Is it the Sports Development Department? Is it just the general, I don't know, uh, mayor? Like, who, who is it the person that you're speaking to uh, at the council? Who, who is the main point of contact that would be responsible for this type of stuff? So we went to the Malvern Hills District Council first, and that's where we originated our, our first meetings with them. But they directed us to our town council who were responsible for the certain areas of the town and their development, which we found out only by going through that channel. Mm -hmm. So uh, once we had made a contact with the town council, uh, we were able to then, you know, freely talk back and forward and, and discuss ideas quickly. Once we had that point of contact that was available to kind of hear us out, um, we could take it a lot further from there. And so they, they wanted a, an idea of costings, um, you know, so you've got to contact various suppliers, you know, oh, I guess you've got to work out like, what, it is, what is it that you're actually trying to do? Like, are you looking for a new surface? Are you looking for new hoops, new backboards? You know, are you looking for seating? What, what are the things that you want? And then who are the suppliers for them? Like, uh, when you talk about kind of what your minimum requirements were in terms of what you wanted, uh, what were they? And then secondly, when you talk about the cost of something like this, uh, your initial, um, I guess, approximate budget, like what were you looking at? What do you think the cost was going to be? I think for, um, well, we, when we spoke to the council, they kind of said to us, you know, go away, find out what you can about the type of facility that you would be looking to have. And we, you know, use that as a starting point. So kind of Tom and I were looking, we looked around the world at, at kind of the best courts because we thought, you know, if we, if we set the standard high, this might inspire more courts around the country because the, the kind of Adidas hoops had seen their day. They, they, wherever I traveled around the country, you can just see that they those days for those hoops have gone and it was like maybe we could inspire like a whole new wave of you know outdoor basketball facilities across the country if we do it right and do it at, find a cost that kind of suits the council so um, when we did our research we found i think we went through about 35 different suppliers um, because we wanted to get an idea of the kind of ballpark figure and that was something we we had to bring up in the presentation was um you know you have to have minimum three to kind of compare against in prices and that sort of thing so you do have to contact a lot of people you have to get a lot of quotes and then kind of formulate that into a graph and charts so that it's easy for other people to kind of understand um, what you're doing there and when we looked at uh, a lot of the, re the reference images they had this kind of outdoor sports surface on the floor and we were just like can you imagine if we could get that outdoor surfacing in, in Malvern because the surface that we've played on for 25 years has never been touched. You know, it's just, it's, ha it's, it's seen so much <laughs> over those years and it's just never been touched. So to be able to have a surface that was kind of all weather, you know, you, you know, if it rains, it kind of goes through the surfacing and it just dries instantly. If I had that as a kid, I mean, who knows where I could be playing basketball, you know, and it's, it was just being able to kind of bring that, that basically like, a modern version of what basketball courts should be for playing outdoors and so when we kind of settled on this outdoor sports servicing we, we put that to the council and we had to say you know this is great for all weather it, it means people aren't having to wait around for the rain to dry up they can get straight back on and carry on playing it's, um, it's shock absorbing so it's great for your knees and everything whilst you're playing it's got good grip you know for health and safety reasons and we had to go through all these kind of little details to explain why that could be a good thing to to have for Malvern. Yeah. Well, I think also. And so, any advice? Yeah, sorry, on, go on, Tom. If, if you sort of try and aim high with your figures and the quality of court you want, you can always be brought down. 
Whereas if you sort of go in, oh, we'll try and do it cheap, mm-hmm. you'll never get a higher figure than that. Mm-hmm. Go high, so at least you can come down a little bit rather than go low and be stuck at that level. And the council kind of... So what... Uh, sorry, so the council, they wanted the input from us because we are knowledgeable in the sport and we know what's good and what's not. And so for them, you know, having these facilities, they, in their eyes, obviously they don't play basketball, so they don't see there's a problem down there. If there's basketball hoops, then basketball's ticked. Do you know what I mean? In their, in their eyes. So for us, it's like they trusted us to kind of create the vision. What's what's good? You know, tell us, you tell us. And so from our experience, we could say, these are the best. This is the best. And, you know, and we could put those things together. Yeah. So what was that initial cost? Like the, the approximate cost that you were looking at? Like what was the budget that you said to the council? This is how much we're going to need to be able to do what we, we're trying to do here. Well, it was a bit of a shock in the room the first time we came at it because... Um, we said, you know, if we want to get the best of the best of the best in Malvern, which basically means we get the best outdoor basketball court in the UK, you're going to be looking at about ninety thousand pounds, right? So this whole room, you just heard, they're this, like, what? Yeah, this, <laughs> this huge wave, like, oh my god, you know, and uh, and so they kind of had the idea then, like, okay, so that's that's the top level of what we could get, and. Um, we and they then, like what's the bottom level? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did ask that. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, kind of, we tried to sort of stay away from that. Um, but I think after, so I think once they had an idea of a figure, because that was the other thing. It's like when everyone was in that room, no one knew anything until we we told them. Like no one had any idea. So um, once we were able to explain what it could do for Malvern as well, you know, you could see the a bit more uplifting yeah. there in the room. Um, but we did work with the council, we worked with our suppliers, and we were able to get that figure down, I think, to about 70, something, 70, I think it was 72, 72,000 yeah, in the end. But that was that was everything included. That was, you know, the security, the fencing, the, the, the surfacing, the hoops. Labour costs. Yeah, labour, concreting, the site, um, digging, all those sort of things. So... Um, yeah, all, I mean, all this stuff came from America as well, all the actual um, uh, backboards. The the courts that we've managed to achieve are the same ones that Dwayne Wade has in his back garden. So for us, that's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so that, uh, yeah, like, you know, like the council, I'm sure that when people listen to this, like 190,000, like when you talk about the breakdown of, of those costs, that from that initial that initial quote or that initial projection like what was what was it that was so expensive you know because in people's minds i think well you're talking about a couple of hoops you know a little bit of surfacing like how does it come to 190,000 like what is the what is the split of what is costing the most money there in that in that initial uh, projected quote oh so, so 90,000 yeah not not 190,000 yeah. oh yeah. was it 90 not 190 oh yeah. i misheard okay 90,000 so what the, the same question applies but re- remove 100,000 yeah yeah so from 90,000 um but I think when it, we got it down, I think the big cost was probably probably the um, the construction costs for the, actually digging up the site, yeah. um, moving the earth as well, which was another thing that had to be factored in, um, laying the, the foundations, the concrete setting, like all that sort of stuff, I think was... That was close to 20, wasn't it? I think it was more than that, because yeah. I think that was one of the majority of the costs. Um, so I think they took 400 tons of soil out and put 600 tons of concrete back in for the actual pad the court sits on and for our foundation for hoops to go yeah. in yeah so I, yeah i'd say so the that's, that's that's the big thing is i think that you know a lot of a lot of there's been obviously a, a massive amount of um art court projects that have opened up over the last sort of year year and a half we've seen um but the vast majority of them and i'm not knocking them they're great uh but they are aesthetic right it's just like let's put some paint on the floor it's going to attract people down there you can get more people playing and we can make a bit of a hoo-ha around it but actually you know what you've done in Malvern is is, well it's considerably different in the sense that you've actually you've actually resurfaced it you've pulled up the floor you put in a new floor you've then laid the flex court on top of it you've then installed new hoops you've got the perspex backwards it's not a multi-use games area so there's not football goals underneath the hoop so you're not competing with football players to be able to play basketball it's actually a you know dedicated basketball facility outdoors so to speak yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh okay so the council you've 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 spoken about the money um you told them what it's going to cost uh 
you know, what's their reaction? Are they saying, okay, we think that we can fund this and we believe in it? Or are they saying to you, well, this is a lot of money. We don't think we can come up with all the funds. We need you to be able to show that you can put some skin in the game and raise some money too. Yeah, that was that was a big thing. So it was mm. kind of, they they had to go away and review their budget and see what was achievable. But they said, if we can raise, um, I think it was about 60, 65,000 or something, mm. you guys, can you guys raise the remaining? No, we were, we were left with five grand to raise. Yeah. That was our challenge. So we had to raise five grand. And if we could do that, there was potential this was going to happen. So uh, this was back in, that was 2017? Might be eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah. Early twenty eighteen. Um, yeah. So they basically. So just to get just to get to this point of raising the money, it had taken two years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and the amount of meetings we had, probably twenty five meetings by this point. Yeah. Plus telephone calls. Yeah. And... Yeah. And countless emails as well. Which I think is a, is, a, I think it's a key thing for people to realise that you know especially when you're working with councils, it's not something that a case of yeah you, know, you say you want to do something they say yes or no and then a few months later it's all signed off and you're going you know this is a very long process that takes a lot of back and forth a lot yeah. of sign off multiple quotes from different suppliers because they can't just go with the first quote you give them etc etc and so on and so forth that's one thing we weren't prepared for in the beginning we no. never we never believed the amount of work that we were going to be having to be involved in especially when like I say this wasn't our job you know as 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 our full-time job so how we were going to try and achieve all these things that they wanted from us. And, and there was deadlines as well. You know, if you didn't get it to a deadline, you know, then you miss your slot. And so it was quite, it's been a good sort of five years of a lot, a lot of pressure to kind of get it to where it is. Um, but when you look at it, we just, we're over the moon. Yeah. So they've told you that. I think it's important to say, on. obviously, with the fundraising, the, the council assisted as well, but then we had to apply for 106 funding as well, um, which basically, if ever a developer builds like a housing estate or an industrial estate, they have to put money into a pot for uh, local facilities, which people can tap into, and that was what mainly funded the majority of the courts. Uh, interesting. Okay, well, that's, that's good to know. I think that's a useful uh, thing for people to be aware of. So the council have said to you that you need to raise the five grand, you know, in your mind, were you like, well, that's not a lot of money considering they're putting in 65-odd? Uh, or in your head, were you like, that's actually a lot of money to raise. How are we going to go about it? And kind of, I guess, when you thought about, like, what is, how are we going to do this? Uh, what was the process in terms of uh, working out your fundraising uh, strategy? I think definitely one thing that was, that was difficult in the beginning was the fact that when we first started the idea in 2016, we put up a Facebook page and said, this is what we're planning to do. And a lot of people started following us pretty quickly. But as the years went on, you could see the numbers started going down again because people were just losing interest. And this was at the point where we needed people to kind of help us with the fundraising. Mm -hmm. And that was that was hard because until we could get to a point where we could figure out what we could start doing to get the fundraiser, we needed to keep those people interested long enough to get to the point where we could we could kind of really help, you know, use their help. A lot of people were saying, if you need help with anything, give me a shout, let me know. And even some of those guys sort of disappeared off the radar after a while. Um, so when we first started out with fundraising ideas, I think, what was the first thing we did? The t-shirts. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, t-shirts. Merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> Merchandise to kind of get the whole Did you manage to sell a lot of those? Not in the beginning. No. No. Um, because again, it was just people, I think people had sort of seen our struggle and they thought this is never going to happen. And, uh, I guess at the time, even we were probably doubting that this was ever going to happen. Mm. So it was really hard to keep that motivation and show people that you're still as passionate two and a half years later than you were you know, at the beginning. And, um, so we, we, we sold a few of those to kind of get started. And, uh, I think the next thing we tried to do was a we tried to do a come and play event. So um, we spoke to a local sports center and we asked them, can we run an event here and kind of maybe have raffles and those sort of things to come along. And it became so difficult to try and even organize that event when we were trying to do now meetings with the council, trying to prepare presentations, trying to do our full-time job, family life. It was like trying to organize that event as well was just overwhelming. And I think the, the person we were in contact with, they were sick and then, this, someone else moved in so it was just so difficult we didn't 
we didn't get around to doing that, but we did plan to do it again. And we said, we're just going to go all at it. We'll, we'll definitely have this event. And that was obviously right when COVID started. So yeah. we, we lost that whole option completely. Um, we had other various uh, ideas for, for fundraisers. So we also did, we contacted the BBL and we said, we, we've contacted every team in the BBL, told them about our campaign, told them what we were doing and said, you know, is there any way you guys can help us out? We want to do a BBL raffle and um, we're- They sent us all sorts. Yeah, every yeah. team in the league. We had involved. tickets, signed jerseys, signed balls, just stuff arriving every day in the post and it was fantastic. So that helped towards the fundraising as well. So did you, were you successful in raising the 5,000 yourself? Yes and no. So <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because when, I, when we spoke to our supplier, um, one of the first things we did was to kind of speak to him and say, we've been challenged to raise 5,000 pounds. Can you help get us a discount of anything, you know, so that we could kind of claim a discount from that side towards our funding <laughs> pot? And uh, uh, that was a kind of a bit of back and forth. Um, and the, our contact who was in the Netherlands, uh, Dennis, he spoke to his supplier in America and got back to us kind of a couple of days later and he said, you know, the, the company in America was so impressed with what you guys are doing, they're going to knock two and a half thousand off the, off the uh, total. So we were like, yes, <laughs> that's half done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it was good. So then the, the, the remaining two and a half, was that done through your various fundraising endeavors? Uh, so we actually raised a bit more than five, including that, because uh, we we raised the remaining doing our fundraising, our raffles, our competitions. You know, we had a competition. We gave away uh, backboards and, and hoops and those sort of things. Um, and then uh, my company, which is uh, owned by my dad, so he invested um, 2000 into the project as well. So we kind of got our part in there. Um, and I think because the plans originally were for the two courts to be side by side. So, you know, my dad was like, I tell you what, I'll put in, you know, two grand from our company if we can kind of get two meter space between the courts, because it's kind of dangerous if you've got two courts side by side with no boundaries. So we, we kind of sponsored that section of the court. So um, that went into the final cost. So we, we achieved our target. Um, yeah. And a little okay. bit. <laughs> well, and then uh, at what point did uh, it become a multi-sport venture uh, involving netball as part of the campaign as well? Um, that was quite early on, to be fair, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that was, again, that was the council's idea. They said, look, if you can get more sports on board, you could potentially get more backing and raise more interest. So we thought, well, okay, netball is quite a big in Mormon as well. And it's obviously another handball sport. So we approached netball. They got behind it. Um, the local teams, the community, the local sort of mini leagues. Um, and yeah, sort of snowballed from there, didn't it really? All yeah. jumped on board. And... Well, the original, the original idea was that we were going to have a site where it was basketball one way and netball the other. So again, it was going to be a movie of sports space but then it wasn't kicking footballs, you know, whilst you're trying to play, everyone was shooting at a hoop. So it kind of made sense that way. Um, but the, the site we actually found and that we, everything was green greenlit for, um, we realized that the, the netball courts would actually have to be stretched in order to fit perfectly, or, or they would be too small mm. to fit perfectly on these two courts because the area we had was so small um, that we, we ended up with this idea that okay, there's a tennis court space that we could mix with netball further down that would give basketball its own space back. Um, and that was kind of all going ahead. And then they found out that the site they were just about to start digging on had this major gas line running underneath it. Everything crumbled. The plans were right back to square one. It was like the most devastating moment of the, the, the campaign for us at that time. The, the council like, um, we've got a problem. Um, there's a gas main under the site. We didn't know about it. I was like, oh, okay. And I rang John, have you heard about it yet? What's the cost to move that? They're like, oh, another 100k. We're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and the council's like, could you raise that? We're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that, that kind of... So how thing. did you end up getting around that? Uh, well, at the time we were kind of, we were just like, okay, this definitely is never going to happen now. Um, but the council were keen to kind of keep the idea of the, the basketball courts at Victoria Park. 
So they went back to the planning department and they said, you know, is there anywhere else we can kind of put this in Victoria Park? And they found a spot that was, uh, it was an old football uh, pitch that used to get used quite a lot. But over the years, the football facilities around Malvern, there, there was just so many of them now that the teams that used to play there are now playing in other places. So there was this area where it was like, okay, well, there's no one really plays football here anymore. This is a perfect place for the basketball site. And looking at it now, it is the perfect place. Mm. Like it's so much better than where it was before because you've now got this area where you completely 360 around the entire court. You can have, you know, people watching, crowds, everything. It's, it's a lot more space and a lot more things to do uh, events with, which is great. Yeah. And so has the netball been set up on a completely separate part of the park? Yes. So the netball, basically due to COVID, um, the netball... Uh, installation was delayed um, but uh, so the, the launch date for us was the 29th of August for the basketball courts and it was supposed to be the end of next month for the uh, netball courts to get put in but they said they've been slightly delayed so I think there's another four weeks but so I think end of November start of December the netball courts are going in so the netball court the netball community is very uh, looking forward to that yeah. For sure. This is the other thing that I think is worth mentioning, um, and also it's, it's, I think, one of the reasons that uh, you ended up on, on this podcast when there could be other people that have done exactly what you've done, but I'm completely not aware of it because they haven't done a very good job publicizing it, right? Uh, but from the very start, and I remember from, from the days from 2016, you know, you launched with a website which was very clear in terms of what you were trying to do, the goals of the campaign, um, and then did outreach. You know, you reached out to various people. You tried to sort of raise that awareness of it. Like, you know, how important of a piece do you think that is uh, you know, it's all good. You know, obviously you have the core of it is doing the pitches to the council and make sure the council know what you want to do and getting the quotes and do it and doing the things that you need to do to actually make it happen. But the publicity side of things, the marketing side of things is obviously key if you're going to raise support, raise awareness to be able to get more people backing what you're trying to do. Like kind of, um, yeah, how important of a piece do you think that was and, and why do you think it was such a key thing that you were doing from, from so early in the campaign? Well, I think that's a huge thing because one yeah. of the first things the council said when we met them was, is there, is there demand for it? Are people going to use it? So the first thing I do is get support from the local, local basketball community, get them on board to show that support, get them to comment, get them to send us emails, send the council emails so they're aware of, you know, there is a demand for it and it will get used. And that was one of the main key yeah. messages we tried to put across from day one. And one of the things that we kind of discovered since then is that the, the participation, the amount of people that we know about that play, play basketball was, was enough to get this court built. But come the launch date, there is hundreds of people that I've never seen before. You know, it brought people out, you know, people who kind of gave up on basketball and suddenly they're back and, you know, faces I hadn't seen for years and suddenly everyone's playing basketball again. Um, so the, the amount of people that turned up on that open day just blew me away. I mean, if I knew there was that many people involved, you know, we, we could have gone even further, but I just didn't know. I, I wasn't aware of it. I mean, it was a bank holiday weekend. Yeah. We already had plans there away and there's still over 300 people there. It was insane. Absolutely mm -hmm. insane. Wow. Yeah, I, I've, uh, <laughs> I, um, yeah, like I think one thing that people underestimate, like, and, you know, at the moment we're involved with our own court renovation project in South London. And one of the key things from early was to be able to be, a, to prove the need for it. Right. So it's not just a case of me going to the council and saying, oh, we want to do this because we think it's a cool thing to do. It's actually going to the community that uses the court and getting surveys filled out, doing polls online, doing Twitter polls saying, would you like to see a renovation on this court? You know, what would you like to see? Would you like to see spring loaded rooms, perspex backboards, a, a flooring? Like, and I think that's something that, you know, if people are going to do their own campaign. It's something that they need to really think about beforehand. It's like, uh, yeah, be able to show evidence of the desire and need from the local community so there's people behind it, there's support for it and it's not just, you know, you two as the um, the two people that are spearheading it saying this is what we need to do without, uh, I guess, further evidence beyond yourselves. Yeah, I think uh, the fact that the Malvern one's there now is, is for anyone else that wants to start something like this, that's huge because it shows that there's participation and, and we're only a small kind of retirement mm. village, do you know what I mean? And, and that court is packed out every single day and night. Every time I drive past, every whole, every single hoop's in use. Um, and someone posted earlier and just said, is there ever a time when these basketball players aren't playing basketball? Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's so popular down there. It's and Even the council were quite surprised how many people came out to play. So in areas like Clapham and London, you know, 
build it and they will come. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's that thing really. But I think it's important as well to sort of stress to councils or authorities that I mean, they, I think our basketball courts are now going to sort of spearhead the future development of Victoria Park in Malvern. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if, you, if you're shown to be investing in youth and development and fitness and well-being, you can sort of always tap into other places, other funding that's available to help develop other sports and other activities as well. Yeah, it's, it's very much um, a chicken and egg situation, isn't it, right? Like people will say, oh, well, there's not a lot of people that play basketball around here. Well, it's like, well, actually, if, if there were better facilities, maybe there would be more people that play basketball around here. Uh, yeah. But it's hard to be able to prove until you've got the facility, right? Uh, which is why, like you've just said, I think it's, it's a, an obvious place that if I was putting together a deck now um, to make the case for a court renovation in X area, I'd be able to say, well, here's an example of what they've done in Malvern. Uh, this was a situation before, this situation afterwards, and here's some testimonials of people that are now using the court that previously had become disengaged with basketball and are now are using it again because there's facilities. And it kind of, it just, it, the more of these that happen, the, 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 the stronger the case becomes to be able to create more, and it sort of creates this, this snowball effect. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm aware of time. So, uh, as you well know, uh, because you sent them to me, I asked you for your top 10 tips for uh, anyone else that is trying to do their own um, renovation project. So uh, I've got them here in front of me, which I'm hoping I can read my writing as we go through them. Uh, I'm hoping you might have them in front of you as well, uh, so I don't put you two on the spot. But um, I will go through each one as a bullet point, and then if you kind of expand on it a little bit, and we can maybe discuss it if I've got questions about it. Uh, So your first first key thing uh, and the key recommendation was for people to check your website, which is uh, malvernhoops.co.uk, that's M-A-L-V-E-R-N, hoops.co.uk. Uh, where they can see a full sort of timeline case study outlining everything we've just spoken about and even more detail, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's some things we've missed just chatting here now, but you can you can see it's kind of became like, like a diary. So everything is on there that we went through. So that's the first point. Second point, uh, <laughs> don't expect it to be easy. Why do you say that? <laughs> I think we fell into that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's, we sort of felt, we could do it quite easily. There will be no hassle, no problem. Um, but then, sort of, we were met with sort of resistance from the councillors, uh, the community, um, just trying to sort of get quotes from suppliers, and just, you don't realise how much work's actually involved in the process as a whole. Yeah. It's... yeah. Once you read that kind of that that document on our website, you realise, okay, actually that's good because it kind of shows people in advance. Be prepared because this is what you're up against. But um, for us, that was that was. <laughs> Foolish, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we, we thought we thought these things happened by magic. Yeah. How hard could it yeah, be? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I, I would say on that, like, uh, you know, work on our court project started last week, and we started uh, the initial proposal and discussions in 2018 so it's been three years to get to the point from first initial idea to actually work starting obviously in your situation again delayed because of covid and obviously covid caused our, our problems as well but you know you're you're at a situation where it's five years so i think for anyone going into it they need to look at considering a, a three to five year timeline uh, anything earlier than that and you're doing very well um but be prepared to be in it for the long haul right yeah definitely <laughs> and stay number committed. three uh and stay committed. You've got to be committed. Uh, and number three, uh, you put financing and budget. Can you kind of talk about uh, what you mean by that? Um, so I think basically finding out what the council can offer. I think that that, that moment where we went in and delivered that price tag, <laughs> um, you can kind of gauge how far you're going to go from the room and, and really how much they want to invest in what you're trying to deliver. Um, if you can put up something that's, you know, if you if you've got any financing that you can draw on definitely do that if you've got any businesses that want to help out or get involved you know get them ready in advance so when that moment comes and they say how are we going to raise this money you can say well here's a start um which we didn't have in the beginning we we just went in blind i guess um so definitely do that but i think it's important to remember as well that councils haven't got a massive pot of money to just dish out willy-nilly um they've got other things to fund as well with sport so I think it's important to go in there with a level head and not just we want this amount of money. You need to prove why you need it, is it justifiable, and then work with them opposed to trying to sort of work against them. A hundred percent. And I think there is, like like you just said, there are different models there. I think you were you were um, blessed in the sense that the council were willing to invest. Uh, 
you know, the model that I'm working with is working with a donation from ourselves, like the Hoopsix Foundation, which we've raised from our own events. So I can, I mean, I guess that's fundraising. We would then be able to get, we were able to get match funding from that from Basketball England. Uh, and then on top of that, we were able to raise the remaining money from private sponsors, um, Foot Locker and the NBA, that were willing to come in and do it, which again, is like, if you're able to show the need and you're able to uh, have the deck and show the plan and, and sort of show that you have the commitment to see it through and make it happen, I think there's no reason if you're willing to put in the work to be able to raise the sponsorship that you can do it privately if the council isn't willing to put in the money themselves. And I think you're in a, for anyone listening that wants to do it, you're in a position of power if you're able to go to the council and say, well, we've already got 10,000, 20,000 to be able to invest in this. We're just looking for another 20,000 from whether it's you or someone else. And I think they'll be able to, they'll be more willing to listen if you've already got a little bit of money rather than going in empty handed and say, oh, you know, we're looking for you to put in the money and fund something. Um, number four was... Uh, make use of 2D, 3D software um, to be able to get a mock-up done. I mean, I think that's a pretty obvious point in itself. I don't know if it needs much more detail on it, but uh, maybe uh, if there are any, are there any specific software um, tools that you recommend or um, places that people can go to be able to find um, freelancers that are able to do the mock-ups for them uh, to be able to sort of bring their vision to life digitally? Yeah, I think, um, well, I mean, uh, software like Photoshop, you know, it's fairly simple to use as long as you can just kind of get a rough idea of something. If you've got it, even even down to kind of pen and paper, I guess you know. As long as you can start drawing something that makes sense and you can kind of put it in a in a presentation form that everyone can understand, that's really what you want to do. And you know, if you have got people at your fingertips that can do, you know, kind of the web design, can do the 2D mockups, the 3D modeling, anything like that that's going to help you, help them to kind of realize your vision. And I think. The more things you can do like that, the easier the, the, the flow is, really. Trying to explain something with words is often <laughs> hard work. 100%. I think, um, yeah, like if... if if you can't find someone locally that believes in your project that has those skills, uh, there are sites like upwork.com and fiverr.com where you can find relatively reasonable freelancers that you can provide a hand drawing for or a photo of the courts and say, look, we need a 3D mock-up with this on it um, and get it done at a relatively cheap price. Cause I think at that point, you know, you don't have a, a, whole, a whole lot of money, but it's definitely a worthwhile thing to do to be able to um, allow people to see the vision, so to speak. Number five was uh, be a spokesperson, I guess, as an an advocate like can you kind of talk on that a little bit and and uh, what you mean by that i think like kind of what we were saying earlier that um it's very easy to kind of sit there and put an idea up and say hey it would be good if you did this in your town and then you just disappear off the radar you know people want to see okay who's going to take who's going to step up you know and, and do that and a prime example of that is that um a lot of people in the area have been starting to uh, want um dirt tracks for biking and I've seen it so many times that someone says, this would be such a good thing for Malvern. And then you never hear them again. Mm. And then it comes up a few years later. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a dirt track? And it's like, you just have to be that person and say, I'm going to run it. I'm going to do it. Throw your ideas at me. I'll take the step and go to the council and we'll go from there. So if people can see that you're actually going to invest in what you're talking about, then they're more likely to back you, especially if they they want that facility as well. Um, and... I mean, personally, I think the biking would be amazing for Malvern, but it, and I, I'd love to run that, but I, I just haven't got the time yeah. anymore. Um, you know, so it, it requires someone else to step up now and, and, and run that for them, uh, for that community. Yeah. But I think a point on becoming a spokesperson as well, um, it's important to, if you're sort of shot down by somebody in the council or a supplier, to sort of really stand up for what you believe in and offer an alternative or a solution. Don't, if they say no straight away, I think that's one of the things we sort mm. of start off with. Um, no, you can't have it here. It won't work. Well, where can we have it then? Set, give us an example. We'll see if we can make it work. Or we'll go back to that. Okay, give us. A, we'll come back to you with another pro site, and then it was a lot of back and forth for that, mm. wasn't it, with us? And yeah, a good, good few meetings. Yeah. yeah. Got to be tenacious and not take the first no for an answer. You know, exactly. um, for sure. For sure. And number six, uh, get as much help as possible. I'm assuming you kind of mean involve as many people as possible, put together a team. Uh, yeah, can kind of expand on that. And how, how were you able to get as much help as possible? I think, again, drawing on the people that you know and the people that, have, uh, that are interested in your campaign, that are following the campaign. Um, first thing that comes to mind was that we had uh, a guy called Warren who we used to play basketball with. And he said, you know, I really like what you guys are trying to do. 
um, I'll, I'll get your website together for you. So he, in his own free time, just knocked up the, the website the first time. And, uh, you know, he said, if there's anything you need, you need anything you need uploaded, just let me know. I'll get it all, and, you know, all for free. It was just he, he saw our passion and what we were trying to do and saw potential in it as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just drawing on the people that are going to help you out. Yeah. Another one was kind of the Worcester Wolves, um, uh, kind of an uh, influence on the court as well which was a big thing for the council to see because uh, is it just going to be for people to just turn up and play on it or is it going to be used for anything other than, you know, a public facility? So we were able to kind of, through Tom as well, speak to the Worcester Wolves. And uh, at the time, it was going to be the men's team that were going to come and obviously use the facility for training. Um, unfortunately, they folded uh, last year. Um, so there's a lot of things that kind of happened along the way. Um, and... Uh, but those sort of things were what was what was getting us through the kind of, you know, the the, the barriers really. Yeah. Yeah. But the wolves, I mean, the, the wolves, wolves Academy helped out. Um, obviously, we've still got the NBL team, still got the WNBL team. Yeah. The wheelchair team coming in January as well. Um, so they'll be able to come uh, use the facilities, host camps, and that sort of thing. Um, and then Emma Jane Garner from the academy as well. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of influence and in sort of giving us um, statistics and information regarding um, sort of under 16s basketball and how many teams were playing in the area and all that sort of thing. So a lot of influence. I think, um, yeah, like s- partnerships are key. And, you know, sporting and love partnerships. They want to see you working with other organisations. I know that in, in our pitch deck, uh, one of the key things we were able to show is we'd, we spoke to a few local uh, event operators, local clubs, to say, you know, if we were to renovate the courts, would you be able to commit to doing X amount of work in the summer, you know, hosting an event here doing this here and of course they all said yes you know we had a quote from them in the deck and that showed that you know we're not going in as a silo we've got multiple organizations that are all sort of rooting for a for a a refresh court uh that they would make use of um which i think you know the council appreciated number seven on the list um make sure that you include uh the the costing uh and the scoping for security in the project like can you talk a little bit about that like what do you mean by security uh why does a basketball court need security uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> subject. Yeah, the, yeah, the courts were less than 24 hours old, and there was already people trying to pull the pads off the posts. Literally, yeah. the night after they opened. But we were ready for that kind of thing yeah. to to happen because um, there had been a, you know, throughout the course of this process, there had been a lot of sort of issues down at the area where we were trying to get this court built, and we saw that you know things could go wrong later on. So we we had to kind of factor in the idea that. Okay, let's get ahead of that and try and, you know, let's get fencing in. Let's get, um, we're now kind of discussing back and forth with the council at the minute about CCTV, which they're keen to kind of go ahead with. Um, we have a, a system where we lock the gate every night. So it's, it's, it's a public facility free for anyone to use, but it's open at nine in the morning and locked at eight at night, um, which uh, something we probably also should have done through the time was work out who's going to be the key holder because, um, for the last few weeks, there's been an issue with because uh, the park keeper has now got to get used to a new round of opening the courts as well as doing what he, you know, and sometimes the gate wasn't open. So all these complaints come back to us like, why is the court not open? I've just traveled to come and play on it. And so yeah. luckily, we've got keys now, yeah. so we can just go down and open it up whenever we like. But obviously, within the Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I can. Security is definitely a. Uh... A key one. We we had a fencing put up for the start of the work, and uh, it was broken down within a within a couple of days. And I had to have a conversation with the council, and we're working out whether or not we can get PCO PCSOs to do patrols whilst the work is going on. Because uh, as much as uh, we can have people on there right now before work on the floor starts, the moment the the artwork or the painting and stuff starts on the floor, and if people are going on it, it's going to get completely wrecked. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a very good underrated point. That I think a lot of people will overlook. Uh, number eight, uh, you said consider the use of flex court uh, flooring surfacing. Can you kind of talk on that a little bit uh, and why you believe that is potentially the way to go uh so basically from obviously what we were used to playing on uh, you know uh, flex court is just an absolute amazing surface to play on and uh you know, it's it's sturdy it's solid it, like i say it's, it's good for your knees when you're playing uh it also the kind of the color system that you can have in there can really brighten up an area and and bring new new life to an area so we've gone for like bright blue bright orange which we originally thought this is never going to get past the you know the council but we went in with this kind of proposal like uh, we're just going to go for the bright colors and see where we go from there 
I was expecting that they would say, we'll just have them green or brown, you know, to kind of blend in with the environment. But uh, they said, no, no, we'll just go with the, with the orange and blue if that's what you think is, is best. So when you drive past now, you cannot miss these courts. They're so, they stand out so well in the area. And it, it really helps to kind of um, bring people to an area now where they feel this is new. This is being, you know, this is something that's been brought to Malvern. And, you know, it's something that Malvern can really benefit from. There's opportunity here now as well, which is something that we, growing up, there's not a lot of things you can do, especially if you want to play basketball with the risk of having a football kick to your head. You know, this is now a place where you can actually come and genuinely play basketball. Um, so, yeah, I think the flex court has really helped to kind of bring that out. And, you know, our contact, Dennis, has been absolutely amazing throughout this whole process. Um, he's been patient. You know, we've, we've been on this for five years now. And, you know, he's really wanted to help get this project together. And we've had to keep kind of going back and forth with him saying, still not sure if this is going to happen. And, you know, kind of hang in there because, you know, we, we're really trying to work with the council to see what can be done. Um, Dennis kind of flew over to kind of meet with the council as well. So that was a good uh, introduction. He was able to explain his product a lot better. And uh, uh, once that kind of contact was made, then they could trust, you know, Dennis. And I would, I would definitely say if you, if you like what we've done, contact FlexCourt and contact Dennis because Dennis is so helpful. I mean, the, the whole court, once it arrived, it was, de- it was down in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. It's, the speed it goes down is frightening. And it comes ready marked, so as soon as it's down, you can play on it. All the markings are already on there. and Yeah, I, yeah, I would say on the, definitely on, on the point of colour, like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of, obviously there's Gareth a project in the paint in the UK that has sort of been spearheading this, this whole art court movement. Uh, and then there's Project Backboard in the US, which does sort of art courts. And I think there's a number of papers that have been released that talk about the use of colour attracts more uh, players to the area. Kids prefer it. It's, it's very good for the local residents. Um, and then not only that, also, yeah, like you said, it, it brings people to the area just as a tourist attraction of like, oh, I saw those really colourful courts. Let's go down and get some photos. Let's get a photo for the gram. Uh, and you're bringing people down to the courts that, that maybe otherwise might not have attended. So, yeah, I definitely think that's a, a good thing to consider. Uh, number nine, um, you said consider putting other the sports into the proposal uh, obviously like you ended up doing um, in Mulvern like how much of a piece do you think that is and, and do you think you know it's very easy for all of us to be very uh, laser focused on basketball and only wanting to help basketball but actually there is a lot of benefit to potentially uh, involving other sports well, we, we kind of discovered through this process that there was nowhere as a public facility for netball there used to be years ago but netball players were having to travel to Worcester every time they wanted to just play a game so that's kind of seven miles away from where we are now. And you think, I, I wouldn't like to do that for basketball. Do you know what I mean? So how can we bring that facility to Malvern? Because the community for netball in Malvern is, as we found out, is pretty big. You know, there's good it's players. Huge. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's good players here. There's, there's definitely potential. So, you know, let's kind of bring them to the area at the same time. So uh, having that extra sport as well helped to kind of keep numbers and part, um, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of uh, increase our reach, reach, I guess, yeah, and kind of get a lot more people yeah. interested. You've doubled your supporter base, essentially, the people that are backing it, double the number of organisations that are potentially backing it, doubled the amount of partners that you've got involved with the project, so yeah, it's, it's an obvious place to go, but I, I would say 100% if you can keep it separate so that you've got separate basketball courts separate netball courts that's the way to go rather than saying okay let's try and put netball courts on top of the basketball courts and so then everyone's fighting for the same space um for sure and then number 10 uh, final point have a big launch focus on, a, on a, a big launch day can you kind of talk about about that and and uh, the importance of sort of making a bit of a fanfare about it when it's when it's actually uh completed yeah i think with a launch you need to from day one prove that it's required and there's a want there for it. And if you if you can put on a show where everyone's come to watch, even not even not play, but just be there and see it and experience it, like that sort of automatically helps you grow as a sport in that community. And um, we had so many people come down who never played basketball before, not even watched a game, and just they'll bring their families down and go on court and the kids take them some shots. And then the next week they're back again with their own basketball, taking shots and learning how to play the game. Um, plus I think as well it's. If you put on a good launch show, yeah. it encourages more use from like on a commercial aspect as well, like the potential of hosting three-on-three tournaments, mini leagues, that sort of thing. 
And I think as well, like if you don't advertise that event well, you're going to end up with an amazing facility and there's going to be no one there on the, on the open day. You know, that's crucial to kind of showing the council as well that there is interest there. If you don't do the work to kind of say, uh, and obviously do it way in advance as well, you know, say we're preparing this launch date for, you know, six, seven months time. You know, are you attending and start getting those numbers uh, up on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's the other thing is obviously make sure you've got all those social media yeah. accounts because you're going to be contacting a lot of people a lot of times and you can reach a lot more people. We did Facebook advertising to reach more people. Um, and, you know, just to kind of promote it because once it's had its moment, you know, things will be on to the next thing then. So you really want to get as many people as possible to that to that open day and show them what show them what's possible, really. That's why I believe Perfect. I think that's a... I, th- I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Just coming up on a, on an hour again. Like congratulations uh, on all your work and sticking with it for five years. Um, it looks great. I am making sure that I do pay a visit at some point over the next few months. I'll let you know when I'm coming up, um, so we can put a few more eyeballs on it. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. And what about if if people want to contact you? If people are looking to do their own court and they want to kind of get some advice from you guys, uh, where is the best place for them to go? I would definitely say go to the website because that. Go straight to our email through the contact form on there, um, which yeah, MelbourneHoops.co.uk, and you can contact us on there. Either that or on Facebook, or Twitter, Instagram. You know, we're we're always on, so we get back to people pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, feel free to contact us. Yeah. Perfect. Well, yes, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us. Um, again, I wish you all the best of luck. I hope this is the start of some, something special. And in 20 years' time, we've got a, a future NBA prospect out of Mulvern that we can say started their career on the, on the Victoria Park uh, courts. Um, so, yeah, thanks again and congratulations. And uh, hopefully I will see you both on the courts uh, at some point very soon. Okay, fantastic. Cheers, Sam. Thank you very much. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. But you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.